Mark chapter 4, verse 35. We're going to start a, a four-week series today uh, called Let's Talk About Storms. Uh, we had this plan for a, over a month now. Let's talk about storms. Kind of seeing um, that, that this is getting harder uh, for some people as things go on, as the crises, as the pandemics, as the, the unrest goes on, it's getting harder. We thought, let's just take a time and talk about when Jesus taught his disciples through the usage of something that was much greater than they were. And storms is one of those things. These storms are a metaphor, but they're, they're literally happening in these stories we're going to talk about where they're in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm. And what do they learn about God? What do they learn about themselves? How do they get to the other side to continue their ministry for the Lord? So we're going to talk about that. But remember this, when the series begins with a prefix, let's talk about. It's a reminder to let you know that your, your young people, the young adults, the youth, uh, children's ministry, all the way down to the nursery, they're talking about the same issues we're talking about. It's just, think of it this way, I'll use this, that if truth is liquid and we put it into this cup, how many of you guys know it's, there should be espresso in truth? There just should be. It should give you a lift, right? So this would be like the adult version of that. But if you go down to the, the, the lower uh, age groups, you'd see that there'd be more of a sippy cup. It's still the same liquid. It's just in a different container so that they can handle it and be able to consume it. So when you get back to your cars today, if you have children that are a part of the ministries of the church, get in there and say, what did you learn in church? today, and we would love it if a family after church continued to talk about Jesus, not just in Jesus. One of the things we have to be very careful of in our society is that you don't want to send your kids to a coach to become athletic, to a teacher to become smart, to a pastor to become spiritual. The greatest place for them to learn about the realities of the kingdom of God is from their mom, their dad, their grandma, their grandpa, their brothers, their sisters. It just is. Families should talk about Jesus. Or what we teach people is that Jesus belongs in a building on a Sunday morning with specialized people who have titles. And that's not where Jesus belongs. He belongs in the marketplace. He belongs at the dining room table. And certainly belongs in your car on the way home. Somebody say, amen. All right. So the four sermons will be what, it, what is, who cares, what was that all about, and failing forward. And we'll start with you, Pastor Les. I'll take what is for 500. Alex? Good. So um, let's, talk about, let's talk about what is today. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Uh, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him. They took Jesus along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus, I love this part of the story, was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, we absolutely trust you. Can we cuddle with you and go to sleep as well? No, they didn't, and, and neither do we reflexively, right? Our first response to a life and death situation is adrenalized words that come out sometimes in French and Portuguese and other things. So the disciples woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? And this is what Jesus does. He got up, he rebuked the wind, said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He turns to his disciples, and he says this, why are you so afraid? Now, we're going to get to this in a couple of weeks, but I want you to start thinking about this. I don't think he's saying something to shame them. Why are you so afraid? I think he's asking them a legitimate question. Stop. The test is over with. The wind's gone. The waves, the only, the only sound of dripping water seems to be coming from underneath Peter's tunic. But the storm's over with. And I want you to stop and ask yourself a question. What was it that caused you to be so afraid? We'll take a look at that a little bit closer in the days to come. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Ask the question and gives them the answer. And they said, oh, it's faith. We get it. And everybody was okay. Is that what the Bible says? Now they're scared of him. 
They're no longer scared of the wind and the waves, but they're scared of him. They were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, in this narrative, in this story, everything they need to succeed has been given to them, but they don't see it because it feels like Tuesday. It feels like normal. It feels like nine to five. It's peanut butter sandwich. It's black coffee. It's, it's just normal. They have no idea that what Jesus is doing is he's speaking to them about the trial they're about to go through, and they have promises to stand on. They have power to, to take and receive from, um, and they don't know that. And let me just say this to you. It is often after the test is over with that I realized it was a test at all. You guys ever like gone through something, and after it's over with, you're like, oh, it was a test. <laughs> and the reason I look down and go, it was a test, is because I know the goodness and graciousness of God. That if I don't get it the first time, or the tenth time, you ever wonder if the mountain's getting taller, or if you're just digging a rut as you go around it again and again and again, right? So I, when I fail tests, I'm like, I, I know two things. One is I know why I failed, so the next time this comes up, I have a better chance to succeed, but the other thing I know is that there's going to be another opportunity <laughs> real soon. So let's talk about what, what is it that was in this? What do we need? What did Jesus give them? What did Jesus give Jesus given us? I'm sorry, that's a lot of espresso on that. Whew. Are you guys having as much fun in my head as I am right now? <laughs> let's go. What did he give them? He gave them this. They knew what God wanted them to do. How do we know that? Because Jesus told them, let's go over to the other side. They knew where they were going. They knew who they were going there with. They knew the destination. They knew the medium by which they were getting there. There was no mystery about walking around the lake. They knew there was a boat. They knew there was water. They knew about how long it'd take to get there. They knew what direction the wind was blowing. They knew how to trim their sails. They had their bailing buckets ready. They, they all got in knowing because Jesus had told them where to go and what to do. I would say this, one of the greatest blessings in life, if you get this, get it good. One of the greatest blessings in life is knowing that what you're doing is what you're supposed to do. And I don't care if it's running an errand to the other side of the lake. Knowing that I'm in the right place at the right time with Jesus in obedience, there is nothing better. I'm telling you this. There's nothing better. How is it that in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are worshiping after being beaten from the backs of their heads to the soles of their feet. They're laying on their wounds in the filth of the last hundred prisoners that were there. Their hands and their feet are in stocks. They're in the innermost cell, so there's no light. There's no ventilation. And they realize as they regain consciousness that they're about to be executed. How is it in the middle of that night they begin to praise God? They knew that they were in the center of God's will. They weren't saying, that we didn't deserve this. We acted in obedience. When we do this, God is supposed to do that. Let's pray for earthquakes. They didn't. They just began to sing hymns of praise to God in the middle of the night. Why? Because when you know you're in the center of God's will, it doesn't matter where that center is. When you know you're in obedience. How many guys, just being completely honest, if it was a burning bush and an audible voice, and you knew that you knew, whatever your circumstances are, to know that you know, this is God. And he told you to sell everything you own, get on a plane, move to Zimbabwe land, and eat grubs with Pumbaa and Timon for the rest of your life. Would joyfully do it, not because you like grubs, Zimbabwe land, wherever that is, and selling everything you have. It's because you know that you know that you know that God spoke to you and you're acting in obedience now. That command carries with it a promise. That command carries with it a grace to accomplish. I, I, coming here is one of those things. Everybody, I literally, I was called to the, to the district office before we accepted this position and warned by the superintendent not to take this position. I said, okay, 
do you do this often with 29-year-old first-time senior pastors? <laughs> you should come here because we don't want you to come here. You should come to the Michigan District office because we don't want you to come to the Michigan District. You know, why? I said, well, the circumstances, we just think it'd be difficult and you're going to get your lunch eaten and we just don't need more blood on the battlefield that is, you know, churches. So you, and I said, listen, I know that I know, like I knew that I knew when I married Dina, I know that I know that God has sent me here. But, but here's what happens now. Fast forward to about six years ago, and my heart has been broken. And how many of you guys know that when your heart is broken, there, there's different types of storms. Let me just say it there. How many of you guys know there's different kinds of storms? There's storms where you, you just get stronger. You just roll harder. You just bail with bigger buckets, and you make it through fine. And there's times when it doesn't matter what you do, you're just going to die. The Kobayashi Maru test. Anybody? Come on. You're living along and prospering. You know what I'm talking about. The Kobayashi Maru test, right? There, I just know I'm going to die. And so in this season, my heart was broken again and again and again and again and again until it was just dust. It was just ashes. During that time, I resigned. I resigned from the senior pastor of this church. Um, by the grace of God, I just didn't tell you, so that's why I'm still here. But I, I, res- I told my wife. I told some close friends. I told a counselor. Um, this is what I'm going through. And, and let me tell you something. If you're tired, you can take a nap. If you've burned out, naps don't help. If, if you're discouraged, a friend can encourage you. If you're destroyed, encouraging words don't help you at all. You don't build cities out of dust. You don't build walls out of what's been rotted, decayed, and destroyed. And so I, I'm ruined. I'm literally ruined. Um, and, and we go out to Phoenix because some kind soul had paid for us to go on a retreat, not knowing what we were going through. We didn't tell anybody but each other and the Lord and, and trusted counselors and so forth. And, and uh, so we're in Phoenix, Arizona, and it's, it's time to go back. I'm exhausted. It's jet lag. I, don't, I can't taste anything. I'm sorry. It's a COVID system. I can't feel anything. I can't smell anything. I think I'm running a fever. I feel achy. Hug me. Who has faith? That's not the, sorry. Um, none of that's true, by the way. I'm just using metaphors. But I, I got it bad, and I'm dying from it. And let's go back, and we'll watch Duck Dynasty. We'll just watch Uncle, Uncle Cy, because that guy makes sense to me. And uh, Dina said, or, you know, Phoenix First, the church that you were discipled in and your pastor is at, and they're having a conference, and the big night where they walk out on the side of the mountain and they stake their claim, let's go there. We walked in to the last song before they dismissed the service, and the song had something to do about up from the ashes and hope arising and stuff I really didn't want to hear. What, what you don't know and I haven't told you yet is that when I went out there, I told the Lord and I told my wife, if God doesn't speak to me in Phoenix, I'm coming home to resign. Because you can be burned out and still build a house if you're a carpenter. You cannot be burned out and build the kingdom if you're a pastor. You just can't. And I, and I didn't maintain my soul. I didn't protect my heart, all the things God told me. So when I was out there, we're sitting on the side of the hill, and it was cold, and I had my arms around Dina because I'm a physical touch kind of guy, and she's a cold kind of girl, so it worked out really well for both of us. And I had my arms around her, and I'm not kidding. God said this to me right here. You are the pastor of Freedom Center Church. And I went, oh. And Dina turned around, and she said, what are you hearing from the Lord? I'm like, oh. <laughs> Literally, true story, right? I mean, I, I said, uh, is God, she said, did God speak to you? I said, yeah, what, what are you saying? She says, I'm the pastor of the church. She said, mm, I don't believe you. I'm like, yeah, it's an elaborate ploy uh, to deceive you. I, I, listen, if I'm lying, I'm running. But I'm telling you the truth, God spoke to me. And uh, he wants us to stay. She goes, I don't believe you. And I said, why? And she said, because you, when you hear from God, you're always happy. I said, I'll be honest with you, I'm unhappy because I feel like I was just like, almost like leaving an abusive relationship. That's how twisted my heart had become, that you guys were actually my enemies, not, not my family, you know. 
and I'm just running for my life. And, and I, so he just told me, no, go back to that abusive relationship. And I'm just, I'm battling within myself what God just told me to do. But can I tell you something? Look at those words again. With those words, hear me, the very next morning I wake up because of the time change, because in February in Phoenix, there's this, there's this glowing orb in the sky. We don't see it for about six months out of the year, but it was up. And I went down to the restaurant that wasn't even open yet. It was that early. And I got, I didn't get a cup of coffee. Because some of you guys know, if you're burned out, you just need drugs. And so I, I went and I said, I want to, I want, would you like a cup of coffee? I said, no, I'd like a bucket. I'd like a bucket of coffee. She brought me this roofing tar, espresso-based. Anybody ever accidentally lick your grandfather's ashtray when you were a kid? That's what this coffee tasted like. And I just went, and my eyes opened up in the sun, and there's birds that were singing. I opened my Bible out of obedience, not out of expectation. As I had opened my Bible out of obedience daily for months. But this time when I opened it up, God began to speak to me. And that grace, I'm telling you this, that was not a welcome command, but with every command comes a welcome grace. They knew that when they got into that boat, they knew where they were supposed to go. Guys, if you know what you're supposed to do, you have a grace upon your life that people that don't know which way is up and which I don't, and I think, but I'm not sure. Kind of, uh, I mean, that's what led me to destruction was not standing on what God had already said to me and taking care of myself. So Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter four, verse four, he said, man's not gonna live on Big Macs. Man's not gonna live on loaves of bread. Man's not gonna live on gluten. Man's not gonna live on bread alone. But by every word, and that word, word there, let me stop. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Two things you need to know. The word, word there is the word rhema. The two words most associated with God's word are the words logos, that which is written, and rhema, that which God is saying. Not what God said and was written down, that's logos, but what God is saying. Now, it is not at all uncommon that what God has said, he breathes on logos and it becomes rhema. Does that make sense to you? Have I mean, you ever read like John three sixteen a thousand times, but then you read it a thousand and one and all of a sudden there's something new in it that's just for you. It's like your eyes open up. That is a logos written word becoming a breathing living word, a now word from the Lord. So man's not going to live on just bread, just regular calories, regular substance. There's another substance you need to stay alive. Let me say it again. There's another substance, your soul, your spirit, your mind, your calendar, your, every part of you needs something else besides calories to be alive. And that something else is knowing that God has spoken to you and standing on what he said to you to do. Man's not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds, this is a verb. So it's, again, it's not a word that I got 20 years ago necessarily. It can be. God's word continues to be his word. Uh, follow the last command. I mean, guys, back to the military again. You don't think, you obey. So we do the same thing in the kingdom. We've been commanded. We do. We don't question our commands. Take that hill means take that hill. But there's enemy up there. Take the hill. But what if they shoot back at us? Then you shoot back at them. Take the hill. But you take the hill until someone sounds the retreat, which is also an advance to the rear because in the army we never retreated, but we did advance to the rear on a regular basis, right? So what is God telling you to do? Whatever that is, hear me one last time. Whatever you know that you know God is speaking to you to do, remember the command always carries with it the grace of a promise. He would not tell you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength unless he had given you the ability to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Failure to do what he's told you to do does not remove the grace with which you get to do it someday. The first time I walked, I fell down. I took one step, I fell down. The second time, fell down, fell down, fell down. For months, I'm sure, as I learned how to walk, I fell down. But as I fell forward into my father's arms, he taught me how to walk. 
And in the same way, just because you didn't get it the first time, the tenth time, the thousandth time, doesn't mean God is not a loving father saying, come on, baby, try one more time. Come here. Come here. That, that's it. You did, oh, you fell forward. I mean, no, if you fall forward, you fall into your father's arms. You fall backwards, and it's that sound of the coconut in the fruit aisle, right, at VG's. It's awful. Whatever he's called you to do. Second thing they knew was this. They knew who they were supposed to journey with and who they weren't supposed to journey with. How do we know that? Because it says, leaving the crowd behind. And I, and I want to do this so well, but it's going to require a discernment on your part to hear what I'm actually saying. Um, there, there are sales techniques and, and there are leadership techniques where we talk about, you know, if you want to be a million plus, if you want to 10x, if you want to, you got to be with other 10xers. You be, that's not what I'm talking about. Jesus' disciples were not, were not motivational speakers. Matter of fact, I, I just watched Walter Matthau last night with the Bad News Bears. I think Jesus' disciples were the Bad News Bears. They, they didn't fit together. None of them were successful. Remember, to become a rabbi, you had to be better than everybody else at various stages of progression. Are you, if you're the best of the best of the best of the best, you got to go on and continue in your schooling, your training, your training, your training. These guys had all fallen out of rabbi school a long time ago. They're fishermen. They're tax collectors. They're zealots. None of them are good enough, if you will, to be qualified to be the educators of the law to Israel. Yet Jesus looks at them and says, you're going to fit, and you're going to work, and you're going to work. My father said, pick you. He picks Judas. He picks, you know, he said, that's never going to work. Listen, he gave everybody the same chance regardless of their potential or their destiny. Listen to me. Knowing who you're supposed to go with through a storm is such an important part of getting to the other side of it. It is so important. Again, during that burnout season, we had people that we chose to disclose the broken pieces of our heart to. When, when our marriage is not doing well, Jerry Kimla is our family counselor. If we can't get through it, we can't figure it out. Listen, if I can't fix the squeaking sound in my brakes, I take it to a mechanic. Or I just spray WD-40 on it because that fixes most mechanical problems for at least a day. What's funny is, though, when I spray WD-40 on Dina, right, it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Right? So what happens is if we're having the same argument, the same breakdown, the same... If, we, if breakdown, breakdown, breakdown doesn't lead to breakthrough, 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 we just ask for help. Knowing who your team is is so important. And you got to hear me. Some people say, well, wait a minute. I, we're Christians. We're supposed to love everybody. We're not supposed to leave anybody behind. But think about this. You know, if we're supposed to love everybody, didn't Jesus love everybody? Yes. Jesus loved everybody. Everybody got love. But not everyone got access. And you've got to hear the difference. If he finds somebody, that they're blind, they're begging, they're caught in the act of adultery, it doesn't matter. Everybody got love when they got to Jesus. But not everybody got to go home with him that night to talk about the things of the kingdom. He had his 12. He had his three. And he had his one. And you, this is what I'm trying to say to you. Jesus is 12, three, one, and even his 120. These were not like the best and brightest 10 Xers. It was a rabble of people, but... The Father put each of them into his son's life. And I'm telling you, the Father's putting people in your life. Can I also dare say this? This is where it gets hard. Can I also dare to say to you, maybe, maybe God is also progressing you beyond some existing friends that you have. And, and I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying you should get rid of all your friends. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying this. If the people that are in your boat are not helping you get to the other side through your storm, I mean, you know, in the middle of a storm, you don't want the boat to be overloaded. You want the right people in the right seats in that boat for that storm. And if you don't have that, you're, you're 10 times more likely to die in the storm than you are if you have the right people in that boat. Yes, there were tax collectors in that boat. Yes, there were sailors in that boat, fishermen. 
there were zealots in that boat. There were betrayers in that boat. But Jesus had placed all of them in there. And I, I'm just asking you, are you sure? Do you know? Do you even think about it? If you had to write down, who are the people that you're doing life with today? Do you know that most of the men couldn't write down a single best friend? They have no way they can talk to. Well, you know, men aren't that way. Jesus was. May the spirit of shut up come on that thought. I'm too manly to have friends. You're an idiot. And I'm a friend enough to tell you, even though you're mad at me now. Which proves my point. Someone tells you the truth and you're mad at them? I'll double down. You're an idiot. We need people we can trust in our lives. Because there will be a day where you need a friend. And I'll tell you something else. One of the most satisfying days you'll ever have is when you're a friend to somebody else that's going through their storm. And you get to take from your testimony, your experience, what you've come through, and help them through their storm and what they're going through today. As God has helped our marriage, we've been able to help people with their marriages. As God has helped our communication, as God has helped our finances, as God has helped our health, we've been able to help people. With the grace we've received, we get to give it 20 times over. You need to be in a relationship with people. Are you surrounded by people who are going to make it through this storm with you? Last thing is this. They knew not to try to change Jesus. How do we know that? Because they took him just as he was. <laughs> took him along just as he was. Um, boy, if you can't accept Jesus, and Piano Girl, join me if you would. If you can't accept Jesus as he is, let me just say this to you. Anything less than a Jesus that is really Jesus isn't Jesus. Yeah, let me say it a better way because nobody got that. Or it was so convicting, I said it right the first time. Let me try another way, though. Let me use puppets. Any chance. If, if, you, if you accept a cafeteria-style, spiritual, Christian-like, religious fraud and call it Jesus, it's not Jesus. It's a Christian-like, religious, spiritual fraud. Does that make sense? One of the most frightening verses in Scripture, to me personally, is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Many will come to me on that day, and they'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we cast out demons? And you'll say, yeah, that wasn't the issue. You using my name effectively as an abracadabra magician's trick, that, that wasn't the issue at all. The issue was the relationship required to have faith unto salvation was missing. I never knew you. Now, how can an, an all-knowing God not know you? The answer is because he's not talking about the hairs on your head or your cellular biology or the generational curses behind you. He's talking about you being real with him. Did you get that? I never knew you because you didn't, you didn't open yourself up to me. You were still hiding these hypocritical places. You were still, you had your little fig leaf on going, what? I, just me and Adam hanging out here. What's the big deal? I, right? I'm sorry, I made Eve though. I'm just hanging out here with Eve. Yeah, I was just weird that I took Eve's side of that one. That was odd. Being sincere before God. This is who I really am. This is who I'm really not. And I thank you for loving everything that I am and everything that I'm not. Guys, if you can get there, this is who I really am. This is who I'm really not yet. And I trust that you love me exactly as I am and exactly as I'm not as I learn how to walk. You get there, that's a saving faith. That's a, that, that's, there's no fig leaves. It might be ugly. It might be raw. It, it might be incomplete. I think God would rather have the ugly, raw, incomplete realities of our life than the figments of our religious imaginations. When Jesus meets the Pharisees, the most often thing he calls them is, is the word hypocrites. We, we say hypocrite. It means to be an actor. You're, you're a hippo like, uh, 
like hypodermic needle. Like what you are underneath what you are is not what you're showing me. That your, your, your face is a mask. Your words are a fraud. Your heart is hidden. And you put on this show like you're an actor in a play rather than a child learning how to walk. And I, maybe I've gone too deep into this one, but I, I just want you to know this, that they knew to take Jesus along just as he was. If anything needs to change in your relationship with God, please hear this. If anything needs to change in your relationship with God, it will not be God that does the changing. <laughs> right? I'm dissatisfied with my current walk. God, come near to me. God, Jesus says it very clearly. Those who come near to me, what happens? I will come near to... If anybody's going to be doing any moving, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So if there's distance, who put it there? And, and I, this is not, a, hopefully it's not like a strong, convicting message. I'm just trying to expose our hearts to the thought that if Jesus isn't inside of us in, in this beautiful reality of intimacy and relationship, then, then you're being ripped off. Something's being robbed from you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lives inside of you. Um, but he's never going to change to fit into your life. You're going to change to fit into his. You ever hear people say the dumbest things like, if I were God, I'd never, it's like, oh, I always want to back off because lightning can reach so far, you know? I don't agree with God about this. I don't believe in a God who'd let, I, until I understand, I just won't. And the silly things we say about an all-knowing God. I just know this, guys. These questions decide a lot from your life. Do you know your assignment? Do you know your team? And do you know Jesus as he is? If so, then you know what is. And we can move on to, to next week's message. But if you don't know your assignment, what God said to you, the grace that's attached to that, if you don't know your team, who you're doing life with, if you don't know Jesus as he is, you understand we, it's going to be hard to progress from here to get through the storm when we're not even in the right boat with the right people heading in the right direction. Does this make sense to you? Say amen if this makes sense to you. It's been quiet. Okay. Maybe it's been more convicting than I anticipated it would be, uh, which conviction, I guess, is up to the Holy Spirit. Condemnation would be up to me, but I tried really hard not to be condemning. Really hard, really hard. So, um, boy, let's just do this right now. Close your eyes. Examine your heart. Father, you, you would say this in your own heart. Father, do I know my assignment? Just listen for a second. Do I know my assignment? Do I know what I'm supposed to do? If I don't, God, I pray you'd speak so clearly that Moses barefoot in front of a burning bush wouldn't have anything on me. That the revelation of my assignment, whether it's to who to go to lunch with this afternoon or what I'm supposed to do till the day I die, it's, it's irrelevant. But if I'm not standing on your promises, then what am I standing on? If I'm not moving in the direction of obedience, then what direction would I be moving in? If there's no grace to accomplish anything except that which you've called me to do, then Father, show me the grace and I will obey. Do you know your team? Ask yourself, God, do I know? Are there people, like, even dealing with my heart about somebody I need to reach out to and, and be open with, be honest with, maybe even confess my sins to, confess my dreams to, confess my fears to, talk about my ambitions, talk about my goals, talk about, but just do I have the right people in the right seats in my life? If I don't, or if I have people that don't belong in that boat anymore, or they never did to begin with, whatever. Father, I pray you make it very clear. Put grace where it belongs. Remove grace where it doesn't belong, God, and just help me to, to just make sure I've got the right, the right team, the right folks, the right family, the right, the right coaches, the right counselors, the right comforters, the, the right mentors, the right tormentors that, that lead me to an image that I could never find without. 
their hands being used by you to mold and to shape the character and the nature of my heart. Do you know your team? Thirdly, do you know Jesus as he is? And we'll land the plane here today. If you don't know Jesus, and I'm not saying that an immature faith isn't faith. I'm not saying you have to know every minutia and the, you know, the geopolitical ramification. I'm not saying any of that stuff. You know Jesus, you know Jesus. But if you're trusting something less than that person, then you're trusting something that cannot save you and will fail you. If Jesus isn't in that boat, then that storm is the end of everybody's story that was. But they had Jesus in that boat. They failed. <laughs> they failed miserably. But then they learned something so powerful because even though they failed, God did not fail them. Jesus, if our hearts knew a counterfeit, let us know. Let us know the, the actual, the real. If we settled for something that's comfortable, something that's crucifixional if we settled for a religion made by men instead of a relationship with almighty God let our hearts cry out this morning for more more oh God more oh God more oh God of you refine us in fire and we will be refined I want to pray for three groups of people it'll take literally three minutes first group is this if you don't know your assignment, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I don't think I know my assignment. Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I don't think I know my assignment. I think I know what I'm supposed to do. I, I know I'm supposed to do something. I just don't think I know what it is. Father, I pray for every uplifted hand. Fill in every blank. The dissatisfaction of a season without aim is the pain required to call us, cause us to cry out for, for direction. So I thank you that you've seasoned people for this moment right here. And I pray you'd speak to them exactly what their assignment is here today and you're like, I'm not sure I've got the right people. I'm not sure I don't have the wrong people in my boat with me. If that's you, I want you to lift the hand right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, every uplifted hand and heart, I pray that you would just put the right people, the right grace, the right moment, the right team, everything, the right, the right, the right. Make it right, God. It doesn't have to make sense, but it has to, it has to be right. Have you just say, I just want to know Jesus more, man. I am, I am not dissatisfied with who he is. I'm dissatisfied with what I, the things that I want to know, the experiences I've yet to have, the infillings, the, the gifts, the miracles. I, there's just so much more that I see Jesus is that I'm seeing in my life. I just want to know Jesus as he is. If that's you, lift your hands. Father, for every uplifted hand, more and more and more. More and more and more. More and more, Lord. More and more and more, God, in every life, in every home. Husbands, wives, sons, daughters. More and more and more. God, open our eyes. Open our hearts. Take away our fears. Take away our limiting beliefs. Take away all the things, God, that, that make you a, a polite um, addition to a good person's life. We are to be so much more than that, God. Make us dangerous. everybody said amen well online guys I hope you got that if you did just kind of raise your little hand emoji and type in and say hi from that angle I probably have three chins so I apologize for the job of the hut thing that's happening right here it's weird but the rest of you let's all stand to our feet today we are going to dismiss you we have people in vests 
They're going to help you kind of know the right order to get out, to be as safe as possible. If you're glad you came to this church today, say amen. Amen. If you're glad the people around you that really needed to hear this message, not you, but those other people, say amen. All right. You are dismissed as they dismiss you. Remember, first thing you do if you've got kids in children's ministry, go get them because we've got to sanitize everything they've touched for the next crew. You are dismissed as they dismiss you.